Have you ever had a teacher or a parent look you square in the eye and say, take a good hard look at yourself? Well, the naughty kids just chuckled. I may have had that on one or two of occasions. Take a good hard look at yourself, young man. And to be honest, that's exactly what we're doing as a church. Right now, we are in the midst of just taking a deep breath and taking a good hard look at who this church is called to be. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what you have to do. I have have a conviction in life that identity, say identity, identity determines activity. It's very hard for a goldfish to be a Labrador. It's identity determines what it should do. And and we as a church felt strongly as we start this brand new year, as we get ready next week to launch into some very, very exciting things, we felt it's really important for us to speak just for uh, four weeks in a row because it's important whether you've been here one week or many decades for you again to embrace our identity as a church. I am a great respecter of the body of Christ. I've been quite quite captivated lately by the book of 1 Corinthians, and in particular the chapter 12 where, where Paul talks about all of us being in the body, I believe in the local church and across the global church, that we're all individual gifts, we're all different people with different functions, but there's one body. And this church has a distinct calling. We have a distinct DNA. We've been around for more than nine decades. And when this church was birthed, God had something in mind. And you and I are custodians of an era. You and I are people that are actually being caught in what God had in mind when he planted a church which for many years was called Glad Tidings Tabernacle. It's now Hope Center. Same church, same DNA, same mission. And I want to remind you of, of what we have committed to as a church. We, we've captivated and captured it in just a, a few words. We call it our vision statement. Let me put it on the screen for you. This is who we are. Why don't you read it out loud with me? We bring the message of Jesus in a way that transforms people and cities. It was obviously written on a train, um, um, but that's who we are. We, I love millennials that do art. We bring. Last week, from this platform, Pastor Ryan Alcorn preached a phenomenal message. Phenomenal. On the first two words. We bring. We bring. We have gifts. We have time. We have treasure. We have talent. Each one of us. And together, we're not the same if you're not bringing. With the uniqueness of what God deposited in our heart, I am, I, I am absolutely, I, I, my whole life, it, I've been preaching for 45 years. And one of the benchmark verses, I preached for 20 years to teenagers. And one of my benchmark verses was Ephesians 2.10, where Paul writes, you are God's workmanship. You didn't just happen. You are his workmanship created in Christ. Are you ready? To do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. You are a pre-planned miracle just waiting to happen. You're a little spark that's ready to start a huge fire in the name of our God. And we... When, can you imagine how, how strong the church, how, how impacted the community would be from the church when we bring... 
But what do we bring? The next four words. It's highlighted. What do we bring? The message of, oh, I'm excited about this. We bring the message of Jesus. This is what we are called to do. This is who we are as a covenant family. We're called to bring the message of Jesus to our community and beyond. If you missed last week on We Bring, I would strongly encourage you to jump on the Hope Center website, hopecenter.com, and there you'll find there on the, you just go on to online, go catch up, and you'll see last week's message. Add it to this one. We bring the message of Jesus. I'm really, really excited about this message because you know what? I am convinced the only hope for humanity is Jesus. Thank God for what all good organizations and governments are trying to do. But at the end of the day, we are eternal beings. At the end of the day, we are human. And we need the divine to change this life and that life. The only hope for you, somebody's got to help the preacher today. The only hope for humanity is Jesus. And we, we bring that message, the message of Jesus. You know, I believe in eternity. Thank God, eternity is what makes sense of it all. It's what makes sense of it all. Makes sense of the tough days. Makes sense of, of loss. It makes sense of why, why do we give up a day like today? I tell you why. Because we're people that are on a journey and the journey doesn't stop at the grave. We are eternal beings. But can I tell you something? There is only one thing as followers of Jesus that we can't do when we cross that great divide. There's only one thing that we can't do in heaven that we can do here. When we get to heaven, we're going to have fellowship. Fellowship. It's going to be amazing. Every saint, every believer throughout the ages will be there. Fellowship. It'll be unbelievable. We've got forever to have it. We don't have to rush off for another appointment. We're there forever. Worship, oh my goodness, worship. We've been in some services where it's breathtaking and, and, and we're captivated as we worship the king, but we are actually going to be around the throne of the king of kings forever and ever and ever crying, worthy is the lamb. You'll have worship. Teaching, you want teaching? They'll be there. The authors, the author himself, who spoke through the authors. He'll be there. It, it's all in heaven except... One thing, opportunities to help other people get there. That's why we are passionate about bringing the message of Jesus. That's our job. Our job is not to run a social club. People need people. I get it. We all need people. People are good for us. Fellowship is good for us. But we're not just running a social club. We're not just presenting programs. We are here to present the message of Jesus. That's why I love what Apostle Paul wrote. Listen to this. Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's why. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Any believers in the room? Come on, we've been changed by the power of the gospel. He says it goes first to the Jew and then to most of us that are born outside of, of, of Jewish lineage, the Gentiles. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We are the community of the unashamed. The unashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. It's the power of God. Our message is Jesus. Our message is Jesus. I actually got up this morning intending to stand on some toes. So here we go. Our message is not social justice. Before you get cranky at me, you need to know I very much believe in everything that we are doing in the social justice space. We're a church that's actually far more committed to transformation than welfare. I think welfare holds people in a trap. I think transformation changes the life from inside out and takes them into a place of victory and freedom. And before you get on a high horse throwing rocks at me, because I said our message is not social justice, we practice acts of care and kindness in the name of Jesus. Lynn and I, in the first year we got married, which this year is 42 years. I know, lucky girl. We started a program called Hannah's House in Ipswich for girls that were in trouble with the law, runaways, all kinds of pain through their own family situation. We were doing that. We are doing all kinds of care way back before groups and churches like ours even caught on to social justice. We, we get it. We arrived at a church here that was doing city care and that, that ministry with the full support of Lynn and I and all of our leaders. It just continued to grow and grow. And today it's called Hope Ventures. We believe in that. But let me tell you something. Social justice alone does not change a life. We stand up for, the, for those who have no voice. Yes, we do. But you know what? We stand up in the name of the one that can change them. We stand up in the name because there's no other name on heaven, in heaven or on earth that compares to the name of Jesus. We bring the message of Jesus. We, we don't bring the message of end time conspiracies. Every time you hear something very powerful, you'll hear a gong. We, we don't, listen, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And oh my goodness, you wanted to get a crowd, you talk about end times. We all knew who the Antichrist was. It was Henry Kissinger. Well, Henry's now gone. And there's all kinds of other conspiracies and people got completely off the charts when other things started to happen in the last few years. I get it. I get it. We were all told, you know, we'd all have marks on us by now. I, we used to have movies. I'm still getting therapy because of some of those movies. If you're somebody that produced those movies, God bless you, but you, you caused me trauma. Seriously. Well, you know, there'd be all these movies, and, you know, and, and if you didn't have the mark of the beast, people would chase you through cities in little white vans. I still get a rash if I pass a little white van, usually because it's a radar car. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I it cost me a lot of lost sleep. And, you know, these movies would be all about the, you know, end times. And, and listen, can I just put up front, Jesus is coming back. We know that, right? We know that. It's amazing how many people online know what Jesus doesn't know, because Jesus said, I don't know the day, only the Father does, but somebody knows. God bless them. Some, somebody with a keyboard with insight knows more than Jesus does, and, and that's really cool. All I know is I, I've got I've to live like he's coming back tonight, but plan like I've got a lifetime because I want to make a difference in Jesus' name. Some of those movies would end. Words would come down. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, another left. Two will be in a bed. One will be taken. One, I, it was scary. I, I came home one day. I was in year four. I still remember it. We were living at Groverly. I came home one day, and just for a moment, my mother ducked out of the kitchen, and the mix master was spinning. <laughs> Two will be in the kitchen. Got right with Jesus that day. And ever since, we, we, we get off on this stuff. Live like he's coming back. And if he is, let me tell you, the people in your world need to be ready. It's not about the conspiracies. It's not about religion. Can I tell you what religion does? It just puts weights on people. When Jesus came to take them off, I doubt you'll hear people stand on this platform and tell you what you've got to wear, how you have to behave, because that's external. And, and, and religion says, you know, if you get it right on the outside, maybe you'll change on the inside. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is, you, if you invite me in, I'll begin to change you from the inside, and eventually it'll be obvious on the outside. So our, our message is quite simple. It's Jesus and him alone. I, I love what Peter declared in, in Acts 4. I mean... It, it, it's our beautiful friends that were baptized today. You ask them. You ask them if they agree with Peter. He says in, in, in Acts 4.12, he said, salvation is found in no one. Say no one. Salvation is found in no one else. Not your favorite preacher. Not your favorite author. Not some ideology. Not some particular doctrinal bent. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is, say it out loud with me, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. Not the name of a preacher, not the name of a prophet, not the name of an institution, an ideology, not even the name of revival itself. I'm meeting people these days that are more chasing revival than they're chasing Jesus. Our message is not revival. You get in love with Jesus, you'll be revived, and wherever you go, you're so on fire, fire will break out. It's Jesus. And can we, for a moment, just, if you've got your Bible, you might want to open it to the book of Colossians, magnificent little book. Paul's letter. Someone's going to get excited as I read this today. Colossians chapter 1. Put it on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible. But, but let, me, let me tell you about the one whose name changes lives. Let me tell you the one who is our message. His name is Jesus. And Paul said, the Son is the image of the invisible God. People said to him one day, he said, we, we want to see the Father. He said, you've seen me, you've seen him. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether on thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, it continues to build. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Can we thank God for Jesus? Just for just take 10 seconds. Come on. Th- yeah, come on, you're grateful? He, it is no other name. It is no other act but Jesus himself on a cross. He died so we could live. That's the message. That's the message. It's powerful. And we need to tell everybody about him unashamedly. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know what it did in my life. I know what it's done in so many of your lives. I know your story. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the one who, and the only one who was able to say this. Look at John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, listen to his claim. I am. Even those two words are powerful. We don't have time for it today, but he is. I am. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No doctrine, nothing. No prophet, no religion. No, no, him and him alone. He is the way. He's the way to the Father. He is the truth, the truth that sets us free. He is the life that is both eternal and abundant. I tell you why I'm excited about this. And I, I just, I, I, I don't understand Christians that aren't excited about the gospel. Just, I just, I, it, it doesn't compute. Unashamed of this message. Here's why. Our family, my family, was so messed up generationally until somebody heard about Jesus. I, 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 every now and then I ponder, what would, would I be here? What would my life be like if, if my father hadn't heard Jesus? Unashamedly preached by a little country preacher. His name was Harold Engwich. And Harold was standing on the back of a truck one day and he got up and he preached a simple short message and it was this, whom the Son sets free. Who was the Son? The Son of God, the one who was above all, Jesus himself. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In a drunken state, my father shuffled forward and opened his heart, his broken, messed up heart to Jesus. We buried dad two years ago. I still remember it. Many of you were there. In our Morton campus, there was a big photo of him standing there, preaching the gospel. I remember my niece walking up, and she didn't say much. It was one of the finest messages I've ever heard. 
She looked across this crowd, big crowd, in the room and online. And she looked up at her granddad and she looked towards us and she said, I wonder what the people that used to see my granddad rolling drunk around that country town of Dolby, often without shoes, often without shirt, and for a season without even having any teeth. I said, I wonder what people would think of this day and this crowd as we celebrate that spiritual patriarch, this man of God. And she said, the only difference between that drunk and this legend is Jesus. He's the way. Come on. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Hey, thank God for all medical health-related support systems. Thank God for everybody doing their part, but most of them can't do what ultimately human beings need, and that is the life-changing encounter with Jesus. I'm not ashamed because I know what the gospel will do. You're part of this church. We're unashamedly going to preach about him. Not just kind of have some religious experience. And I'm excited because this is a season to win lost people. Jesus says in John 4, he says, look to the fields, they're white. People at your office tomorrow, wait for the moment, but they're ready to hear about Jesus. Your family, your neighborhood, come on. We, 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 we dance around the subject. We bring the message of Jesus. And in that there is hope. Most Christians... You're watching today, either online or a delayed broadcast, or if you're in the room. Most Christians are very familiar with the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John 3.16, most of us learned it soon after we became followers of Jesus. Some of us knew it before we were. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Every now and then I, I, I just go, Lord, I, I know... I know as a child, you don't mind me doing this, so I'm just going to put my name in here. For God so loved Wayne Alcorn. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but, say it with me, have eternal context go on to the next verse because we need to see it as well for God did not send his son into the world it's amazing how many Christians think God's mad and he's ready to get you because of your mistakes some Christians forget what they were before they met Jesus I need to repeat that. Some Christians forget what they were before they met Jesus. And even if you were all dressed up and used to go to church, you were still a dead man walking. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn, condemn people because of their sexual preferences. I told you I came to stand on toes. Because of their addictions. Because of, oh, because of who they vote for. Some people have this view of God that he's a conservative, middle-aged, right-wing politician. I personally have my own strong convictions politically, but I'm not standing on this pulpit preaching them. I'm here to preach Jesus. 
because every political party, whatever they stand for, they're still filled with humans and they'll still make mistakes. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. through. Please don't dismiss John 3 as you're into deeper things now. Um, you know, I'm wise. Let me tell you about the Bible says. The Bible says that people that win souls are wise. He that winneth souls, that's the King James. He that winneth, I love that version, is wise. The message of Jesus is good news, but sadly not everybody's heard it. Not everybody's heard it. I wonder if it's, in fact, I'm sure it is, of delight to hell to see the church distracted. Doing everything but preaching the gospel. Talking about all sorts of stuff except Jesus. He is the true essence of the good news. It's Jesus. You know, I I, I said I want to be controversial, so let me just go a little further. This isn't. This isn't too far, but let me just take it a second. I can't count the number of times I've heard St. Francis of Assisi quoted by Bible-believing Christians. Here's the quote. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Comma. Use words if necessary. Good on you, Francis. I get the fact that we should be kind. I get the fact that we should care for the hurting and the broken. Tick, I'm in. But let me shout from the mountaintops. Words are necessary. Words. If there's no other word, it's the name of Jesus. Words are necessary. I don't know how we came to the conclusion that hurting the broken Sorry, that healing and helping the hurting and broken is mutually exclusive from preaching the gospel. Where do we get this stuff? It's an attempt to just cause the church to shrink back and be seen as nothing but nice people. Sorry, but there are times the gospel will cause offense. And I'm not ashamed of that message of Jesus. I am proud of our people doing all that we can to help the youngest through to the oldest in our communities. That's what we do in Jesus' name. But it's not instead of preaching the gospel. It's not all, it's and. Read the gospels. Matthew 25, sheep and goats. You cared for me when I was in prison. You came to me. You helped me. You nurtured me. You fed me when I was hungry. You, or you did all those things. But let me tell you, and the same area, the same part of the gospel. Next, just roll through Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's not all. It's and. Do we want more people serving on shower trucks, helping in our various programs? Absolutely, yes, tick. But it is not instead of. Do we want to feed the poor? Yes, but one of my deep concerns is some people are going to hell just with a full stomach. We've got to use these opportunities. These are platforms to preach and share in a loving, sensitive, kind way what Jesus has done for us. 
is a magnificent truth and normally I preach and teach from the NIV but today I want us to go to one of the versions that is quite modern language but really captures so much of just the, the power of the text and that's the Passion Translation. And I want to read to you again a part of the scriptures that many of you know. Many of you heard this and memorized it but it's Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, it's true. What's the next word? Everyone. Say it again with me. Everyone who calls on the Lord's name will experience new life. How many are grateful for the new life that happened when you called on Jesus? Everyone who calls on that name will be saved. But therein lies the problem. Verse 14, how can people call on him for help if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe, oh, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts and capture us in this moment? How can they believe in one they've not yet heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there's no one to proclaim it? contacted one of my dearest friends in life the other day. I said, tell me the story of your conversion to Christ. And he was more than happy. He loves telling people everywhere. He said, well, when I was in a park, I was having a really bad day because I'd overdosed on drugs and I was messed up. He said, I don't, can't even tell you why, but I was walking through that park, still under the effect of all of those chemicals in my body, thinking about Jesus. See, see, this is the thing. You never know what's happening in people's heads and hearts. So I was just thinking about Jesus. Mind you, he said I, I had him boxed as some kind of religious guru. And he said, now I was just staggering through the park when some young 12-year-old Mexican boy walked straight up to me and said, sir, do you know Jesus? 12 years of age. My friend, if you'd seen him back then, was a scary-looking dude. Looked like something that had crawled out from under a rock. He said, do you know Jesus? And he said, I was stunned. And, and then for the next 20 minutes, a 12-year-old boy just looked at him and said oh he's wonderful he's wonderful and he just continued to talk to him and and share with him who Jesus was and what he'd done in his life and and he said the more he talked he said the more I was captured and he said you know I listened to him and and I thought this this kid honestly believes that Jesus Christ is still alive and he said to me do you want to hear more about him and he said sure still in a bad shape He said, I'm sure you could come home from me. So they took him home. And there for that evening, that family fed him and loved him and shared the message of Jesus. They took him. Then that little later that evening, they took him down to the city mission where he gave his life to Jesus. That drunk, that messed up drug addict in the park is somebody that stood on this platform. His name is Pastor Bayless Conley. And since that day, 
Now, 48 years later, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have said yes to Jesus because he's a walking billboard that says if he's done it for me, he can do it for you. All around the world because one little boy, 12 years of age, can we get back to the joy and the wonder and the simplicity of our first love and that salvation? Holy Spirit's speaking to me so much about that. Keep it simple, Wayne. Stay pure. Stay excited about Jesus. No wonder that Paul, who we've been reading his writings to Roman, and Paul personally met Jesus, and he met a living Jesus, and the day he met him, he was radically changed. Radically changed. If we put it in the context of our current understandings, Paul was a terrorist came the great apostle who wrote a large chunk of at least the second half of the New Testament. And he wanted everybody to meet Jesus just the way he did because he knew if Jesus had done that for him, he could do it for everybody. And in celebrating the fact that anybody that can call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but the trouble is not everybody is hearing it because not everybody's teaching and proclaiming it and living it. But then he stops and he says in verse 15, How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news. Jesus is good news. Everybody say amen. Oh God, give us the beautiful feet. The good news of the gospel. When you speak to a group of this size, there's every range of personality. The raging extrovert through to the quite timid introvert. My problem is, even in the amplified version, I, I don't see us get a, a pass out on this one. We've all been commissioned. Not all of us will go into the world and teach nations, but all of us can go into our world. You have access to people that I, I, I've never met, I can't reach. But perhaps right now, you're stirred, but you think... I just can't articulate the gospel. I see incredible people stand up here and preach and make it so, you know, understandable. I, I'm just not sure I can. That's, what, that's because you want to actually get into deep theology and try to answer all the hard questions. Don't even try to do that. Just, just do, do you remember, remember the blind man? They're coming up with all these theories why he was blind and all the religious people are coming up with these profound things. It has to be some generational curse. Your parents did something. Can we just move past that rubbish? They finally call the blind man himself. Can you imagine being the blind man? Everyone's talking around about him. Finally, someone says, well, what happened to you? He says, listen, this is all I know. Okay? This is all I know. I got up this morning and I was blind. Couldn't see. And the only thing that changed from every other day in my life I met Jesus and I once was blind but now I can see because that's your story I once was lost I was confused I was struggling but then I met Jesus that's your story I'm still too shy to do that Well, well then bring them to Alpha and let somebody but you stay with them 
to a youth group, to a program, to revival nights. Get them into a place. Well, it, well, I, I want to preach the gospel. Well, you said you're not ready yet, but let, let me just remind you, there, there is a, a wonderful story Jesus tells us about him. We call him the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan doesn't seem as though he said much. But you know what he did? He put him on his donkey, the beat up, broken man, who'd been radically affected by the pain of others afflicting on him, like so many in our world. He put him on his donkey. It was a hybrid. And he, he put him on a donkey. And he took him to a place where those who knew how to help him, the next step, would minister to him. He even actually physically contributed. He said, this is going to cost anything. Here we go. That's why I'm so grateful for people that actually believe and steward their finances so that the church is strong. It's what we do. It's what we do. This is a hospital. It's not, a, it's not some place that just does programs and services. This is a hospital where you, you get them on your donkey. Get them on the donkey. Bring them in. Bring them in. I don't know what to say. Okay, put them in your car. Bring them to Alpha. Put them in a car. Bring them to church. Put them in a car. Get them to youth. Drive a bus. Get them there. Get them into a place where they can get healed. I'd finished preparing this message on Friday morning. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Open your Bible to Psalm 126. I'd like you to stand with me because I'm going to read this over you today. Here's the promise of Scripture Those who sow with tears. Reap with songs of joy. That's not tears of indifference or tears of resistance. I don't want to do this. They're tears of passion. They're tears of passion. People say to me, You're passionate. Yeah, you better believe I'm passionate. People don't know what your passion is. You probably haven't got one. Lost people need Jesus. And those that sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Here, here's verse 6. And those who go out weeping, here it is, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What's the seed? It's the seed of the gospel. And today I'm going to commission you. Would you open your hands? Just open your hands right now. Don't, don't anybody leave. This is a sacred moment. We haven't even, we haven't closed the service. So there's only a couple that need to keep serving. This is a sacred moment. The Holy Spirit's working upon our hearts. God's doing this little loving, little just shaking us and, and, and taking us out of just what is okay for me. And I bless you today with your hands open. You carry the seed of the gospel. No more excuses that you don't know enough. You know what Jesus has done for you. You know what he's done for you. You know how good he is. You know how he saved you. You carry, you carry the seed of the gospel. And I bless you. And I pray that God would grip your soul. I pray that he would open your eyes. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you'd become very sensitive to moments and people. 
pray that you would you would live a life that builds platforms that take you to a place where you have the credibility to share the name of Jesus but I pray with you for your friends for your family for those in your world as you go and preach the gospel I pray you would be being filled with the Holy Ghost I pray you would be I pray you would know the wonder the power of the Holy Spirit because here's the promise Jesus himself said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth wherever you go Wherever you go, wherever I send you, you'll be witnesses. And you have the power, you have the boldness, and you have the confidence, not in yourself, but in Him. And I wonder if you're able to. I wonder if you're willing. The seed of the gospel, I just want you to surrender it right now. I want you to raise your hands to heaven. I sense a fresh anointing on this house right now. Be filled with the Holy Ghost afresh. Just begin to thank Him. Be filled again. Be, be bold. Be strong. For the Lord your God is with you. Be bold. Be strong. Be, be, be baptized again in the power and the wonder of the Holy Ghost. I pray your eyes would see what He sees. Would hear what He hears. I pray that there would be a fresh confidence in the gospel. A fresh awareness. A fresh appreciation for all that Jesus has done for you. I pray you would carry a contagious faith. And we commission you today to not go in the strength of your personality or intellect. To not go and reason, to not go and judge. But to go and love and speak the name of Jesus. Love people. Talk about Him. Take, talk about Him.